So first Peter, before we get into first Peter five, I thought it would be good to just kind of take a breath and look back at where we've come from, because even though it's been five weeks, it feels like we've gone through it really fast. Um, you could go back and spend probably the next year in this book. There's so much in it. So let's just go back to 1 Peter 1. Um, open your Bible if you're not there already, and we're going to do a quick recap of where we've come from. 1 Peter 1 starts off with uh, Peter announcing who he's writing to. He's writing to chosen exiles, and he starts off the book with a blessing for them. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he opens the book by reminding them of who they are. They're chosen exiles, but they're also a chosen exile who has hope. They're given a living hope. And from that, he gives them a call to a holy living. And we see that in uh, chapter 1, verse um, 16. It says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So he calls them to live holy lives like God is holy. Um, and in their holy living, we see in chapter 2 that as they live holy lives all together as a church, they're built up to be um, like we saw in um, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises. So they're holy people built up together to be this one nation to proclaim God's praises with their lips, but not only just their lips, to also proclaim God's praises and give him glory with their holy living. And that's in verse 12, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when, you slant, when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So this is Peter setting up the rest of the book from 2.12 all the way until 4.19. He's going to expand on that fact of how do we live holy lives living these good deeds? What does that look like? And so we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about what does it look like to live a life of submission, submission to authority, to human institutions, um, wives to husbands. Um, it also looks like returning good for evil um, and living with joy as we suffer. Um, we talked a lot about how we follow in Christ's suffering and share in his suffering. Um, chapter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. And then he finishes this whole um, section, verse or 2, 12 through 4, 19. He's talking about all the good works um, with this. So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. And so he's reminding them that even though they're suffering, they can continue to live 
holy lives, just like he had said before and gave them all of these examples. And then chapter five is just his conclusion of his letter. And so as we open chapter five, think of it as like his closing comments. And he's going to start with um, what he wants to say to the elders, and then he'll move on to everyone else. So what does he say to the elders in chapter five? So Peter turns the corner now. We're in the last chapter of his letter, and he says this in chapter five, verse one. He says, I exhort the elders. So that word exhort means to urge, to encourage, to earnestly encourage the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So I'm exhorting the elders. And so a couple things before we get to what he's exhorting them in, notice just a few things. First is that he's referring to elders plural. There's an S there. There's, it's more than one elder. And this is really important because th- th- this, is a, this is a big, important thing that um, too many churches I don't that too many churches don't take seriously enough, in that the normative pattern that you see in the New Testament for a healthy church is a plurality of qualified elders. A plurality, not just one. I, I, I grew up in a church where it was like you had the lead pastor, right? But what we see now you can be a church. You can be a church and not have a plurality of elders, but you cannot be a healthy church and not have a plurality of elders. We see no pattern in the New Testament where that is the case. And this is really important because, uh, as, as we're going to get to in later verses, um, Jesus is the chief shepherd. And so as the chief shepherd of the church, he gets to decide how his church is structured and how it, and how it is run. And so this means that... Um, Often when we think of elders, sometimes we have a lot of people who come to Candeo uh, for the first time, and when we're explaining our leadership structure, um, elder, like elders can kind of get equated with this kind of like decision-making board, right? And I'm sure that's informed by maybe past contacts or even just kind of the business world. Um, but the reality is, is that if you would sit in on any of our elder meetings, uh, they're the, 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 there are decisions to be made, but the primary focus that we that we have as elders, not just because we came up with this, but because this is what Christ calls his shepherds to do among his flock is to shepherd his flock and to care for his people. And so uh, before we get into any business items, we get into the work of prayer, prayer for our members, prayer for you, and also into the work of studying the word for the purpose of the preaching that will come on a Sunday. And so every message that you hear on a Sunday morning has already been talked about as elders, because it's not just it's not just my job to go you know back in a corner and craft the message you know or Cody's job or whatever. It all of our elders feel that responsibility to to craft the messages, to give input, to make sure that we are teaching sound doctrine, to refute false doctrine, and then to also in the in the really sticky nuances of things where there there can be uh, disagreements and a lack of clarity, things like that, to work through that together. Uh, and we've even had some of that in Daniel, but. The model given in the New Testament is a plurality of elders. And this is why uh, here at Candeo, we refer to all of, our, all of our elders as pastors. This is not, you know, there, there is no qualification to be on staff at a church in order to be called a pastor. Pastor and elder is used synonymously in the New Testament. So all of our pastors at Candeo are elders, which means that we will have some people on staff who aren't elders and some people who aren't on staff that are elders, but we refer to all of them as pastors. This is also uh, partially why, and 
this is probably why I went long the last semester we did this, but um, partially why with our leadership structure currently at Candeo, and if you want to read our bylaws, good luck, but um, <laughs> you can, but you'll see, you'll notice in that is that uh, we, we have really shied away from even using lead pastor language. Now, a lot of that is culturally informed, uh, just something that seems very particular to the Cedar Valley that's unique, that's at least been unique in our experience in the places that we've been, has been that churches can tend to revolve around a particular personality. When, again, we see like the church is Jesus's church. It's not so-and-so's church. And so we have shied away from lead pastor language and have have sought to more emphasize the plurality of leadership uh, precisely to accentuate the reality that Jesus, regardless of what a church's leadership, leadership structure is, at the end of the day, Jesus is always the lead pastor of his church. That you ask, who is the lead pastor of Candeo? It's Jesus. And you might, you might think that's kind of cute and like, ah, oh, okay, I get it. But it's like there is a very real deep theological truth behind that, that we're not trying to be cute and we're not trying to like you know, avoid the answer to that question. But it's like, if you want to know our like our leadership structure in the way that, okay, well, what about people who are here? You know, we can go through that. But the, at the end of the day, Jesus is the, is the, the chief shepherd and the rest of our pastors, uh, there's a plurality of them. So you notice I exhort the elders among you, that's plural. Um, I exhort the elders, plural, among you as a fellow elder and witness. You'll notice that the elders are among you. This is also really important, that eldership is not a group of men in an ivory tower who lead and dictate from some elevated position and sit outside the life of the people of the church. That's not who elders are. Like, elders are not, are not to be an unknown group of people who are not uh, easily recognized and dispersed among the, the, the flock that they are called to shepherd. Elders are to, are to be among the body that the men who serve in this way, that, that they're to be interspersed in the body and, and intermingling with the people that they are serving, not from a distance, but among them. This is why, um, and we probably don't point this out as often as we actually should, but um, this, is, this is partially why we have our coaching group structured the way we do as elders rotate through connection groups, because in a church the size of Candeo, it's it's probably unrealistic that every member would know every elder, but we want to, as best we can, make sure that every member knows an elder and has, has interacted with them, is in a context with them, in a regular context with at least an elder that if, if there's an issue or if there's a shepherding uh, situation or if there's a need that you have, that you at least have one person that you know who is an elder of our church that you can reach out to and that our job as your elders is to serve you in those ways. And so that's part of why we do our, our uh, connection group coaching uh, structure that way. You'll also see many, many of our elders serving in a variety of ways. You know, you've got uh, Zach Meyer and Scott Rieger who are like rock stars in Candeo Kids. Like, I mean, Chris makes Candeo Kids go, but like those guys are like second on the list, right? You've got uh, Josh and David. So uh, Josh Allen and David Andrew, like serving on the worship team. I, I love that, you know, even just this last Sunday, Josh is leading us in singing to the Lord and opening the scriptures and exhorting us and, and calling us to, to worship God. You've got uh, Nathan, who, who helps out with baptisms and communion, and uh, John Bachman, who's, who's taught, uh, who just recently, last semester, taught a class on culture. Uh, uh, you saw a few weeks ago... Um, 
uh, Dave Nee preaching on a Sunday. Coming up, we'll have uh, Brian Hayes and Andrew Chrisman also preaching on a Sunday. Like, our elders, like, elders are meant to be among the people, serving the people. And so there is no such thing as being an elder by proxy, right? Like, it would be so weird for me to be an elder of a church in North Carolina because there's no way I can actually be among those people unless I'm spending a lot on airplane tickets, but I'm not. So... Uh, so that's why we do that. So what are these elders, what are these leaders, what are these pastors urged to do? Verse 2, shepherd God's flock among you, not, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So elders are to be shepherds. And what do shepherds do? Shepherds lead Shepherds lead the sheep from out in front, serving, serving as an example of where they are calling the sheep to go and calling the sheep not to go to the right, not, not to go to the left, but to follow the path of the shepherd. This, this is really important because being a, we were talking about this at our table, being a shepherd is really, really different than being a rancher because think about it. So sheep know the sound of the shepherd's voice. Why? Because the shepherd is constantly calling the sheep to follow him. Follow me where I'm going. And over time, the sheep begins to understand the voice of the shepherd, whereas ranchers generally are sitting up on a horse. They're not calling from out, out front, but they're driving from behind. And usually, usually with ranchers, it's driving, you know, it's driving the flock to... Uh, uh, to be, to be slaughtered, right? You know, it's like there's a very different posture between a shepherd and a rancher. A shepherd is down on the ground getting messy, like in, intimately involved in the life of, of the sheep, whereas a rancher is kind of like high, lift, like high and lifted up, up in the ivory tower, up on top of the horse, disconnected, and just kind of like barking out orders from, from the top down, right? Now, shepherds, though they call, though they lead, though they lead in this way, they, they do, it's not to say that they don't have power, right? But they wield their power in a particular way. Like shepherds still have a staff. I don't mean like a, like employment, you know? I mean like wood staff, you know? And sometimes they will use, like shepherds will use that staff to like, to, to guide a sheep, to correct a sheep, to pull a sheep out of, you know, out of a pit. But Shepherds will also use that staff to more often protect the sheep. And so they, like, they wield a staff of power in the life of the sheep, but it's for the good of the sheep, not simply to hurt them or anything like that, but to protect them. So uh, when we were developing this class, and in particular this last week, Sarah just asked, uh, Sarah asked if I could like, pull the curtain back a little bit on, on uh, practically what it's like being an elder here at Candeo. And in you know, feel free to ask any of our elders about their experience uh, being an elder here. But uh, first off, I'll, I'll say this, like, it happens, it is very frequent that when we meet as elders, and especially as we are praying through our list of members, like praying for you by name, um, that most often, like 99.9% .9 of the time, the way that those prayers go and the way that those conversations go um, they are conversations of incredible gratitude that we are blown away by what God is doing here at Candeo, and we are blown away by what God is doing in, in your lives, and we are often talking about the, the evidences of grace 
that we see in your lives. And our prayers for you are often just asking God that he would continue the work that he is already doing and that we feel uh, so privileged and and very, very much like who are we to get a front row seat to see what God is doing in this place? And so, like you say, what's it like to be an elder at Candeo? I say, first and foremost, that, that will be the predominant answer, my guess, is that you'll get from a lot of our guys, is that it is an incredible privilege to be a leader here. That doesn't mean it's not without its difficulties, but uh, we have an incredible church. And it is not lost on us, and we don't take that for granted. Often, uh, we talk about we don't want to become those people that um, I can imagine. I've never lived next to the mountains, but I can imagine. Uh, I love the mountains, so when I, you know, when we go to Colorado or whatever, I'm just like, oh man, I'd love to live here. Like this is beautiful. And then, the, but there's always this thing in my mind where I'm like, I bet, okay, <laughs> I bet that um, that they get. Oh, my word. What is going on? <laughs> Commercial break. Okay. In a minute. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm all right. Like, I would bet they get used to it, right? Like, probably at some point, you look out your window, and you're like, that's just normal, you know? And we feel that way a lot, where it's like, oh, God, help us not be those people who are living next to spectacular mountains and, and just get so used to it that we miss it, you know? That's how we feel. Uh, most of the time. So can you get that back to First Peter for me? Thank you. Um, so we see this as a tremendous privilege. It, it is also a tremendous weight and a tremendous responsibility. It's not just something that's kind of like fun uh, that we get to do, though, though there are times when it is fun, but it is a tremendous weight. And the reason for that is verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, the chief shepherd. Like I said, Jesus Christ is the lead pastor. Jesus Christ is the, is the chief shepherd. Whose church is Candeo's church? It's not Jake's church. It's not Cody's church. It's not anyone else's church, but Jesus's church that he has stewarded to the elders to care for. And I go, that's crazy. Because I know me and I know our guys, like I love our elders, but we are, we're imperfect people. Like, why in the world would, would he choose to do that? But he has. He has stewarded that to us. And so, so the leadership that we have as shepherds in our church is that of an under-shepherd. It's a steward. That's, it's a steward of a church that's not ultimately ours, but is ultimately Christ. Now, literal shepherds weren't the most cleaned up. They weren't the most nicely smelling people. Uh, because sheep aren't the most cleaned up, most nicely smelling animals, right? And it's somewhat similar uh, being an elder in that uh, people's lives are really messy. Like, everyone's life, it, everyone's a mess. All of us are a mess, okay? And we can say that. But as an elder, like, you get, you, you, you deal with your own mess, and then you get, you know, you get to go into other people's messes. People's lives are messy. Their marriages are messy. Their lifestyles are messy. Their desires are messy, and there, there is a stress that comes from feeling the weight and the responsibility that, that we are going to stand before God as the elders of Candeo, and we will give an account for what we did with his church, with how we shepherded you in your messy situations, how we shepherded you even in the things that, that you didn't want to be shepherded through, but that God has called us to shepherd you through that because you are a member here at Candeo. And so 
quite frankly, that's the thing that causes us to have conversations we, we wouldn't otherwise have uh, or want to have, because uh, it isn't fun sitting across from someone trying to help them see why what they are doing is not right. It's not fun sitting across from someone and, and trying to help them see how their attitude is being incredibly divisive and how they're actually like pushing people away and hurting people. It's not fun to sit across from people and try to help them see how their lack of financial generosity is actually a spiritual problem. Like that's a really hard conversation to have, especially as an elder, and especially, I'll tell you, especially as like a staff elder, that's really hard. That's a hard conversation to have because it's like, it's so hard for that to come across, not as like, you need to give because how are we gonna pay for all this stuff? It's like, no, at the end of the day, I actually don't care, I don't care where you give your money, I just care that you give it. And I, my guess is most people don't believe me when I say that, but it is true. It's like, I just care that you don't love your money. And generosity is the greatest way to not love your money. So those are hard conversations. Because my guess is that when a lot of people become a member uh, of really any church, but, it's, you know, but a member here at Candeo, like they don't think of the fact that like when you say that you want to be a member here, what you're saying is, is I want to be shepherded by this, this group of shepherds. And even when it's in a situation that's going to be uncomfortable, and even when it's, you know, even when I'm going to disagree with them, I'm going to, I'm going to submit to their leadership, not because they're perfect people, but because they've been put in that place by God to oversee the souls of those who come to this church. And sometimes, this doesn't happen a ton, but sometimes there, there can be an attitude like, be my shepherd, but don't tell me what to do. And that can be really difficult. And I, I mentioned this on the, in the Sermon on the Mount series. This was, I don't know, forever ago, it feels. But, uh, I mean, we've, we've had lawsuits threatened against our church uh, for reasons like this, where um, where a member didn't want to be shepherded and was so resisting that leadership that in uh, the church discipline that that's when the lawsuit threat came. And he said that we'd be slandering his name. But at the end of the day, we'll stand before God and give an account for how we shepherded God's church. And so, now, I, now I'll say this as well, and hopefully this came out a little earlier, but it, 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 it could be really easy. Like, I could, I could sit here and, like, talk you through specific scenarios and be like, oh, my gosh, like, that sounds terrible. Like, why? being an elder is terrible, you know? But it's like, I'd say by and large, uh, by and large, our church really does embody uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And the reason for that is so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And I say, by and large, that, that is the experience of being an elder at Candeo, that a large majority of our church uh, follows our leadership in such a way that, that it is a joy to be an elder at Candeo. And so... Um, I'll just say a couple things, like, if there's one thing that would really put the wind in the sails of our elders, um, I'd say that uh, it's way easier, it's way easier to be, like, vocal about criticism than it is to be vocal about encouragement. I remember hearing, uh, I forget who said this, but it always stuck with me, where, and they said it in kind of a provocative way, and you'll see why, whereas, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the nice things you think about people. And I was like, 
what? And his point was, he's like, because you could think a bunch of nice things about everybody, but if you never actually tell them that, what good has that actually done? Like, how did that actually, like, encourage them? They can't, they can't read your minds, you know? And so, but it's way easier often to, to vocalize criticism than it is to vocalize encouragement. Um, hence, you know, Yelp and Amazon review. Like, you know I mean, usually when you write a review, it's because you have a problem, you know? And, and I would say, like, if you really want to put the wind in the sails of our elders, like, don't, as much as we love, like, serving you and encouraging you and jumping into the messy situations and, and getting feedback and all that stuff, I'd say at least like try to think through how you can give as much encouragement as you might also give criticism. At least like make it a one-to-one ratio, right? Um, instead of the only interactions you might have as you reach out to talk to a leader uh, being what you don't like, or what you wish was different. Or how we have failed you. Like, it's like, yeah, that, that's probably true. You know, like, because we're not perfect and we can't see everything, you know. So, um, a, a lot of, a lot of things that, what, what people don't realize about being in leadership is that one thing that you often have as a leader that the people that you're leading don't generally have, and it's just by nature of your position as a leader, is that you, you tend to have a broader perspective of what you're leading than the people who are within what you're leading have of what they're in, if that makes sense, right? And so I would just say, like, like if there are, if there are things about our church, if there's things, you know, it is totally fine. Like, give us your feedback. Absolutely. I, I feel like I'm caveating it to death right now. But it's like, tell us those things. Like, don't be like, oh, I can't say anything. I, but I would say, have the posture, though. Like, it, it, this, this is a posture thing, honestly. It's like, it's very possible that the thing that you might be upset about, um, that there's actually a broader story to that. That there's actually, that there's actually a reason that a decision was made um, because of the way that that decision impacts a very broad group of people and not just you specifically. And so at least take that into consideration that it's, it's possible that maybe the thing that you're upset about Maybe you would have actually made the same decision if you knew some of the things that our elders know. Now, we're not perfect, and we'll make bad decisions and try to own up to that, and you as a member should, should certainly you know, call us out on things that you just think are wrong or whatever. But, um, but at least keep that in mind uh, in the way that you approach um, even giving criticism. So uh, the thing that would really encourage our elders would be assume the best, be more vocal with your encouragement, uh, than you are with your criticisms. And then uh, finally here in the first section of 1 Peter 5, uh, the first half of verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Now to be clear here, elder language as it relates to leadership in the church isn't, isn't primarily referring to chronological age, right? Like if you, if you really dive into the Greek on this, like there are different senses of similar Greek words and the word elder here used is not that of an older man. It is used of that in, in, the, in the leadership position of a qualified elder as it's laid out in the New Testament. So being an elder is not referring to chronological age, but the position 
of leadership. Because, and, and also, because if, if it were chronological age, then, then Paul's encouragement to Timothy to not let anyone look down on you because you are young, 1 Timothy 4, verse uh, 12, that would make no sense. Because Paul is talking to Timothy as one of the leaders of the church. And so if, if, he, if he can't be young to be an elder, I, that sounded weird. If, if you can only be old in order to be an elder, then Timothy should have never been an elder and Paul should have never been writing to him as an elder, right? You get what I'm saying. So, and what do they call them to do? Be subject to the elders, literally to submit. And we, we hate to submit. We hate it. We don't want to submit. We don't want to submit to anything but our own thoughts, our own passions, our own desires. But isn't it true that we, are, that we all have someone that we're responsible to? It's kind of like uh, when our kids get angry with us. Our kid, one of our kids in particular, will often say, like, well, you don't, how, how will they say it? But like, like you, don't, you don't have anyone who's in charge of you. And it's like, really? <laughs> I mean, you've been with me when we've gotten pulled over, right? Like, <laughs> there's clearly a dynamic there, you know? But then, but then to encourage them, it's like every one of us is one who lives a life of submission to someone. And so we hate to submit to authority. But there's a fine line between freedom and prison, right? Like there's a fine line between wanting to be your own like autonomous individual, like self-governing power and being in actual jail. Because you cannot, you cannot just live that way, right? We are all those who are under authority. And so um, Peter calls young men to submit themselves uh, to the elders as well. So I think that might have been shorter than last time. Yeah, thanks for no? pulling the curtain back okay. um, for us and sharing those things. Um, so this second half of chapter five is for all of us. And um, I'm going to try to wrap this up in less than 10 minutes, but I do want to say these are his closing comments, and so he's going to rattle off these things, and you could really um, meditate on each verse, each sentence for a long time. So I'm not going to be able to hit everything that I want to hit, um, but he starts off with um, a call to all of us. It says, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it's interesting that he uses the word clothe, right? Because sometimes we think, you know, we put on the fruit of the spirit, we have the fruit of the spirit, and it's kind of like a set it and forget it. But when we put clothes on, we change our clothes at least once a day, right? So we should put on humility as a daily reminder, continually bringing it before the Lord that we need to clothe ourselves in humility, not just one time we get humility and just forget it. We need to continue to clothe ourselves with humility. And even just thinking back to chapter 3, um, the women, we talked about how it says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things that elaborate like elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold jewelry, or fine clothes. But we are supposed to clothe ourselves with humility. Um, but why are we supposed to do that? It's because God resists the proud. In Proverbs 16, it says um, that God detests a proud heart, and pride comes before our fall. 
So God knows what's best for us, and what's best for us is to clothe ourselves in humility. Um, and why do we need to clothe ourselves in humility? Because God cares for us. Um, it says here that um, in verse 6 that we also need to humble ourselves um, under God's hand. So we're to put humility on towards one another, humble ourselves towards one another, but also humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. Chapter or Verse 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. So we humble ourselves because he cares for us and because he's mighty. And this took me a long time to recognize this part of the verse. Um, this verse is one of the many verses that's hanging in our shower, and it's been there forever. And I read through it, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at his proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your cares on him. You know, I go over it and over and over. And one day I was like, wait, humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And so if you just picture God's mighty hand like this, and we're to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, just like what Jake was talking about with a shepherd with their staff, we can trust that God's mighty hand is only going to let the things that he knows that's good come down through his hand upon us. So we can humble ourselves under his good hand and rest in the fact that he knows what's good for us and he's going to let like sand sifting through a hand. He's going to let what we need and what's good come and fall upon us. But what's so wonderful is when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, we can cast all of our cares and anxieties on him. And so when you think about when you cast something, you're not holding on to it anymore. And so think again of the hand, now putting something on top of that hand, you're letting it go. And so whatever that um, anxiety or care is, you can let go of that. And I think of it in um, walking to school with my kids every day, um, especially right now in the winter season, Judah specifically has like all of his winter gear and he's a little dude and he's still learning how to carry everything. And sometimes we get down our driveway and he's, you know, just like walking like this and struggling. And I'm like, Judah, do you want me to take your bag for you? Because we live within walking distance of our school, but it's kind of a long walk. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. And then we get like halfway down the block and he's like walking slower and slower, you know. And you can picture him just struggling. And finally at the end of our block, I offer again, Judah, can I take your bag for you? And finally he's like, yes, take it. And I think so often that's us. We struggle and we struggle and we struggle in our pride, right? Because it says God resists the proud, but if we humble ourselves and cast our cares on God, he cares about us. I want to carry that bag because I know I can. But I had to wait until he gives it to me. So when we humble ourselves finally and come before the Lord and give our anxieties, give our, give our cares to the Lord, he cares for us and he wants to carry those. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Psalm 55 um, is very similar. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So we're to humble ourselves before the Lord. And then we're also called to be sober-minded. 
Um, verse six set, or verse eight says, "Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world." This could take us a whole hour to unpack this, but real briefly, um, why? Why are we called to be sober-minded? Because there's an adversary out there. So uh, a couple summers ago, Jake and I were um, able to go on a trip to Cody, Wyoming, and we were getting ready to go hiking up this mountain through this forest, and the, the guide who was taking us up the mountain stops the whole group and says, okay, before we go up, we need to, um, I need to tell you what to do if you come across a bear. And here's what you need to do. Here's how you stand. Hold, you know, here's your bear spray. He had like a gun strapped to his chest. And then he's like, and here's what you do if you come across a moose. And if you come across a mama moose, and, and I'm looking at him like, oh, my gosh, like we're going to die. Um, we did see a moose on our hike. We didn't come across any bears. I'm so thankful. But um, you better believe that I was alert that whole time we were hiking. Like, I was on high alert, ready at any moment. We were with Cody, though. So, <laughs> and we can both run faster than him. So, that's all we had to do. Like, that was our defense. I wasn't going to share that. <laughs> like, Brent, blah, blah, blah. We were, you see this guy? <laughs> we were also with Stacy, and Stacy would outrun us all. Yeah, that'd, but, that'd be fine. Um, we just have to outrun Cody. <laughs> But we were on high alert, and when I read this passage, I think of that because my attitude, my alertness, my sober-mindedness is not the same when I'm on a hike at Prairie Lakes. Why? Because I don't think there's a bear around the corner. So I'm just walking with, if there's a bear around the corner at Prairie Lakes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but... That is, that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to live sober-minded, alert at all times because we know that the devil is prowling and he's wanting to strike fear into believers. And I think that's why he says uh, a roaring lion, not a slithering snake, because the roar of the lion is to strike fear. And it's not, it's not just any type of roar or fear. Look at this. This took me a while to pick up on this. It says, um, he's, uh, verse 8, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing, so this is all one thought, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced. What is Satan using to devour believers? Suffering. So when you go through trials and you're like, why is this happening to me? Remember that we are to stand firm and not give in because that's so easy when we're tired, when we're worn out and we're suffering. It's so easy to waver in our faith. And Satan what's, wants that. When he sees us um, wavering, he's just going to devour us and he wants us to walk away from our faith. And Peter here is saying, resist him firm in your faith. Um, and remember that people are suffering all around the world. Um, and Peter leaves us with this wonderful blessing in verse 10. It says, 
Um, the God of all grace who called you to this eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this is just so, so beautiful. The, the fact that if, if we are suffering, if you can look back on your life and you think, have I lost anything for the sake of Christ? Christ will restore us eventually. Have I been crushed down or torn? I know that Christ is going to establish me. Have I been worn out or exhausted for the sake of serving Christ? Am I weak? I know that Christ will strengthen me. And have, have I ever felt alone in my suffering? I know that Christ will support me. This is all for God's glory. So um, I want to leave you with what Peter leaves his listeners. Um, at the end of his book, he writes this. And my prayer is that this study would have the same effect. In verse 12, Peter says, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And my prayer for you all is that... Um, as you walk through trials, whether it be right now or in the future, that you would remember to stand firm in, in the faith that you have in God, in the living hope that we have in Christ, um, and stand firm and not waver.